This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, the wait is over. Liverpool returning to action as they got Project Restart underway at Goodison Park. But perhaps fair to say it was somewhat of an anti-climax, a goal of straw at Goodison Park. I'm Guy Clark. This is the Blood Red podcast as we get set to look back on the 0-0 draw with the Toffees. We'll talk about the atmosphere inside the ground. No fans, of course, for the first time ever between the meeting of the two Merseyside clubs. We'll talk about what could be a growing injury list for Jurgen Klopp and whether that's too much of a concern. Plus, we'll get the calculators out and go through all the mathematics as Liverpool look to secure that first Premier League title before, of course, we look to Wednesday's game as Crystal Palace come to Anfield. Alongside me to talk about all of that and plenty more besides our Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorst, Dan Kay and Matt Addison. Gentlemen, how are we all keeping? Not bad. Good to, good to have a little back yesterday, wasn't it? Even if it wasn't the greatest of games, I think. More for the history books, even if it wasn't uh, anything special in between, you know, the, the first whistle and the last. Yeah, absolutely. It's just nice to have the rhythm of football back, isn't it? With press conferences and matches and Jose Mourinho rants. And it's like we've never been away, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, great, great to see it back, of course, definitely. And yeah, like Dan says, it's a bit like getting back into the routine, isn't it? It sort of felt felt a bit strange at kickoff yesterday, but yeah, back into it now. Waited three and a half months then, and I suppose if we fast forwarded another three and a half months, Gorsty, you'd probably still be at Goodison Park without any goals going in, wouldn't you? Probably, yeah. Um, probably shit for most of our time waiting for even a half chance to, to fashion itself as well. It was a really poor game, but one that you can understand after three months off for both teams without without any kind of any run run start at it. Liverpool only had obviously the one friendly against Blackburn, and even that wasn't a particularly taxing workout. There was a lot of players who played that day at Anfield who probably won't won't feature much for the rest of the season as well. So. That was always understandable, even more understandable when you think of the amount of draws that have been at Goodison Park in the last few years. I think we've just been saying that off fair, haven't we? The, was it six in the last seven? Um, third successive coldest draw, so it was never going to be one that was going to, um, you know, it was never going to be a classic, but um, just good to be back really. I mean, I think we know, don't we, that Liverpool are going to secure this Premier League title at some stage. It was just a case of getting back into the swing of things and almost just you know, welcoming everyone back to, to what's been um, a little bit of a, a wasteland when we've been talking about anything and everything that we can kind of get our teeth stuck into and now we've got actual tangible storylines and, and stuff to, to discuss. So, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards for the next eight games. Yeah, was that the frustration, Dan, that we waited so long and then we, we got a stinker thrown up for us? Well, yeah, but I mean, to, to some degree, maybe it should be no surprise. I mean, you know, people who've watched Derby matches over the years will tell you that this is often the way things. I wrote a little piece in the in the build-up to yesterday about a little anomaly that um, yesterday was only the second Derby that ever kicked off at seven pm. The previous one was arguably was the best attended one ever. Nineteen sixty seven FA Cup tie, FA Cup tie when they put big screens up at Anfield, and there was obviously that's kind of a paradox in the, in the two kickoff times. But I did make the point in the article that it's all too often the, the case with derby matches that the hype very rarely lives up to the reality. We do seem to be in one of these kind of eras of kind of quite turgid stalemates. I'm, I'm sure there was a spell during the seventies when there was like four or five nil nils back to back at either ground. This was the third nil nil. 
in consecutive matches at Goodison. But, you know, as Gorsi said, it was always going to be awkward for both teams, not just being the first game back, but obviously a match like that when there's so much riding on it emotionally and psychologically and, you know, for, for, the, for the, you know, bragging rights in the city. And obviously, Liverpool looking to clinch the title, Everton desperate not to give us a helping hand to do that. So, under the circumstances, I think both sides will be better for it. Obviously, from our point of view, we're more concerned about about Liverpool. Um, you know, it, and I think it bears, it, it's worth pointing out as well, it, this wasn't the eleven that's, by and large, rinsed the league all season. You know, this is what, what, the third match Liverpool dropped points in. But obviously, because of injuries and various states of fitness, um, you know, there were a, a few kind of unfamiliar faces and slightly square pegs and round holes. So... Yeah, it wasn't. We were all hoping to see a, you know, a, a rip-roaring victory with goals flying in left, right and centre. It didn't happen. But it's another point closer. And, you know, for, for us to be in a position tonight when we're able to tune into Manchester City against Burnley with and the, the, with Liverpool still having eight matches to play and knowing that we're in a position where one slip from City could put us one game from the title, that's extraordinary. And that, that bears repeating and that is worth remembering. When for so many years we've watched the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea and Arsenal and others in that kind of position, usually later on in the season, enviously, this is us now. So, mildly frustrating, but we're not far away now. No, I suppose that's the thing, Matt. As much as it was a, a poor game, no one can get away from that. It's only the third match in the Premier League this season in which Liverpool haven't taken all three points. It, it, it's mind-boggling, really, when you think about it. Like Dan says, eight games to go in, in order to get five points. Yeah, it's an incredible position to be in, isn't it? It was a, a really strange game. I don't, I don't think it was just the occasion. I think there was other factors as well. Obviously, Andy Robertson and Mohamed Salah were both missing for Liverpool. I don't think you can underestimate really how influential both of those players are. And I didn't think that the substitutes really helped the game either because you know it was being stopped every few minutes and that sort of thing. So... Just when Liverpool started to, to get into a little bit of a, a flow and we started to move away from that disjointed nature of the game, it, it sort of went back into substitute after substitute and, and sort of different drinks breaks and, and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, it was a, a difficult, painful watch at times, but it was, you know, it's just one of those games when Liverpool have, have won, what is it, 27 out of, of 30 matches they've played this season. You really can't be complaining too much. Paul, you were one of the, the lucky few inside Goodison Park. Just, uh, I suppose, you've got the unique insight compared to all of us. What was it like actually seeing Liverpool come out of that Porter cabin? Well, not seeing them come out of it, but watching them stride across from the opposite side of the pitch whilst the air raid siren was was being played out and obviously no one inside the stadium. Yeah, it was, it was surreal and it's kind of um, a little bit of a moment in history, to be honest, because... 236 times these two teams have played each other and that was the first one that was behind closed doors so strange one uh, Everton handled it well you, you signed it in the car park and you, you got your lanyard and they made sure that everyone on the site had a mask and um, you couldn't quite you couldn't actually get in without it it was all one way systems and showed you to your seats and you, I was sitting next to Phil Kirkbride well I say sitting next to him he was actually he was the closest to me but he was still quite a few sheets to me left. So um, Everton kind of did it quite well and, and it was well-spaced and all done properly. Uh, we were all kicked out within an hour of full-time and it was all handled very well and, and I suppose we're going to have to get, well, I'm, I'm going to have to get used to it to that over the next few weeks. And um, it was, a, it was a, a surreal one, but Everton handled it quite well and 
Um, it was very weird to be seeing, you know, the intent to see if we made side derby without fans because I did think the players, okay, they were very short on match fitness, but you know, it wasn't a training game by any stretch. There was two teams who were desperate to win. Uh, the tackles were flying in from early on. Uh, James Milner she picked up a book and didn't he? And uh, Michael Keane for one on Sadio Mane. So the intensity was there. It's just a case of lacking a bit of sharpness and a bit of quality in the final third, which will come in time. And and I've no doubt that Liverpool will uh, will sharpen up over the next few weeks. But uh, they probably won't even need to, to be honest. I think you know that this title will be done and dusted soon enough, and and they can kind of just have that uh, that record point tally in the sights to go and chase down for the rest of the season. Yeah, those joining us on YouTube will see that Dan Kay seems to be having some technical issues. Hopefully Dan is back with us before too long. Oh, Dan is back now. There was two of him. There was none of him. There is one of him. He is back now. Dan, I don't know if you caught that from Gorsty, but talking about the atmosphere in the ground and obviously not being the greatest spectacle, it doesn't really, though, as much as it was an eerie atmosphere, it was odd. It doesn't really seem to have played all that too much of a difference on what we saw on the pitch, given the the recent showings at, at Goodison Park, well, certainly not from a Liverpool point of view. I don't think. I, I think it. I think it certainly will have had an impact on how Everton played, um, because you know they're the home team. They're expected to try and take the game to Liverpool. Although that being said, they haven't exactly thrown loads of men forward in recent derby matches. In in many ways, it followed a similar pattern from what we've seen um, in in recent years. Um, it was yeah, it was a surreal experience, you know, watching it on on TV. Obviously, like, like everybody else did, it did feel it, it felt kind of quite poignant. I think I think Paul pointed that out in, in his in his piece that he wrote at lunchtime today, which is well worth a read on the Echo website this afternoon. Actually, kind of like a you know a ghosty view about what it was really like, um, you know, in this unusual uh, scenario. The, the fact that in, in quite a sunny day, all of a sudden, just as the team came out. The heavens opened and there was a rainbow and, and that kind of really did feel kind of quite symbolic. So it, it was it was an awkward scenario for both teams. Um, and listening to a couple of the interviews after the game, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin particularly made reference to the fact that it did feel strange, it did feel odd. And I can imagine every every footballer in you know who's had to play these behind closed matches, behind closed doors matches, whether it's in the Premier League, the Championship, or in or in. Um, you know, other countries, other leagues around Europe, it is something that they're going to have to get used to. But again, as this is a Liverpool podcast rather than Everton podcast, Calvert Lewin points out at the end of the day, the professionals that played, they're paid to play football, and I think the, getting the first one out of the way, I think, will be very useful for everybody. I think we will see a little bit more smoothness, a little bit more rhythm. Uh, you know, they've only been back in training. What is it? Three weeks, and even you know, for the first week and week and a half of that. It wasn't really proper full-on contract training, wasn't it? This is after a three-week break, which was longer than any pre-season that they would ever have had, really, in their whole professional careers. So I think it was always going to be a little bit stuttery, a little bit fractured. Um, I think, as was pointed out just before, all these the injury breaks and, and the substitution breaks and the drinks breaks don't help the flow and the rhythm of the game. And, you know, a derby is a derby is a derby, whether it's in front of... 50 or 50,000. There's so much riding on it that it's very difficult for a lot of footballers to express themselves in the way that they would ordinarily be able to do. So I think all these things have to be taken into account. And, you know, it's, it's you know, an, an unerring rule of football. The first goal in any game is crucial. If a goal had gone in early, 
I think you pointed out before, is it six out of the last seven Goodison derbies have been draws? Now, one of those draws was a 3-3. Terrific game in 13-14. In but possibly what was crucial to that game was Philip Coutinho scoring in the first three or four minutes at the Gladys Street end. And it kind of opened things up a bit. But I think once you get to half-time, it's, it's, it's an inevitable kind of mindset of a lot of players to kind of like, well, what we have, we hold. We, we, we don't want to... Fear of making mistakes seems to override everything. So it wasn't much of a spectacle, but Liverpool now are, what, 22 matches unbeaten against Everton, which I think is the second longest ever unbeaten run in British derby history. Only Chelsea have got a better record against that over Tottenham now. So you take the positives. First clean sheet in seven, I think it was as well for Liverpool. So we take that and move on, and hopefully we'll give Crystal Palace a good three and two on Wednesday. Yeah, hope that that is the case, Matt. I suppose one thing that was really clearly evident, even from the off, was this season how many times we've seen those direct passes from Andy Robertson to Trent Alexander-Arnold, and and likewise, and Jordan Henderson with that trademark ball that gets popped inside and he clips it over the top of a, a back line. That direct passing, I know Liverpool by no means a long ball team, but that direct passing that gets right to the heart of an opposition, especially with such a narrow midfield that Everton were playing, really did show that how much they missed Andy Robertson, didn't they? Yeah, 100%. I think when you play a team where, as Everton were, they sort of sat in and, and defended, I think they only had 30% possession across the entire game. You know, it, it's sort of up to the team who has the majority of the ball to get to the byline and then, you know, pull something back or, or work something and be a little bit creative to, to get in behind. And, and Liverpool didn't really do that too often. I think, obviously, Andy Robertson is exceptionally good at that. But I don't think, you know, Trent was at his best either. And I think probably partially because of of Mohamed Salah not being there in front of him, the, the sort of dynamic between them just, just wasn't quite there. And, you know, I think Takumi Minamino did a, a pretty good job in the first half. I was fairly impressed with with what he did, but the fact remains that he's not Mohamed Salah. Um, so, yeah, I think it was slightly difficult in terms of Liverpool to to sort of create those chances and, and get in behind. And unfortunately, yeah, on the, uh, the, the occasion, they didn't quite manage to do that. But, you know, we shouldn't forget either that, Everton hit the post, they could quite easily have, have won the game. So as much as Liverpool would be disappointed not to have got the three points, it's probably slightly fortunate on another day. Maybe if Alisson hadn't got a touch or, or Joe, Joe Gomez hadn't got a touch on the, the shot, things could have been very different. Yeah, a case of respecting the point and, and moving on. During the course of the game, Paul, they did put the, the graphic on Sky Sports for Liverpool's away goal scorers. Roberto Firmino, of course, all eight of his goals this season in the Premier League have come away from Anfield. I was surprised to see that Mohamed Salah's only scored two goals away from Anfield. Yet, I suppose it harks back to what we spoke about last week, that whilst everyone judges Salah by goals, Liverpool certainly missed him yesterday, even if it wasn't for that goal contribution he, he hasn't shown away from home so far this season in the league. Yeah, I didn't realise that myself, actually. That's a, an interesting stat when you think he's, he's Liverpool's leading scorer. Um, certainly seems to, to thrive at Anfield then, doesn't he, judging by them numbers. But uh, there's no doubt Liverpool missed Mohamed Salah yesterday, I think. Any team in the world would miss Mohamed Salah on, on any given day. And it's a little bit frustrating, I think, because it, it's kind of through design sometimes and sometimes it's just bad luck. But Jürgen Klopp never seems to get the chance to name his, his full team against Everton. Um, there's always some way that Everton seems to get away with it almost, if you like. You know, the, the, I think they're really faced with the opportunity of playing Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino and, and uh, Sadio Mane's a front three. I think they played in the same team together once 
and that was when Klopp was trying a little bit of a different formation when he had Jadon Chikiri on the right. So as a front three, they've never started for the Merseyside derby together. And um, I, I think it's a little bit of a source of frustration for fans who, who feel that they've never truly been unleashed upon Everton and, and they seem to get away with it now and again. Dominic Solanke started one derby, for example. It seems um, ridiculous when you look back at it, but uh, no doubt about it. Liverpool missed, missed Salah yesterday and, and he should be back for Wednesday. Um, but um, the way Jürgen Klopp's got a little bit of a history of playing down injuries and knocks and so on, um, I wouldn't be too shocked if he didn't feature. But coming off what he said over the last couple of days, hopefully he will be back, as will Robertson. And uh, both players will give Liverpool you know, a couple of, of extra dimensions in terms of attacking from wide areas. Yeah, is there, Dan, a, a need to get worried for Liverpool regarding these injuries? Robertson not playing, Salah not coming off the bench and then Milner and Matip both going off during the course of the game. We know how quickly the games are coming around. It won't take an, a, a bad knock for a player to actually miss maybe two or three games. Yeah, but, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's cause to get worried. Injuries are part and parcel of football. You know, there was a, a bit of a narrative during the rounds earlier in the season that, you know, Liverpool had had everything going for them and all the other teams had these terrible injuries because City had lost the port and whatever. And, you know, it's, it's patently not true. Liverpool have been without some key, some, you know, significant players for significant parts of the season and they've still managed to produce, the you know, these incredible results that have put them on the, the, the brink of the title. Um one reading one report earlier this morning actually kind of point it was an interesting point that the the, the two biggest misses for Liverpool yesterday arguably were Salah and Robertson and they're the two most the two most left-footed players now obviously Salah plays on the right but still I, I do think that kind of Liverpool did lose a certain sense of balance because of that um, because of the, you know, the the very unusual nature of this period of football that we're going to see until the end of the season. Uh, and obviously the new rules allowing five substitutes, we will see you know some unusual team selections. Um, but you know thinking back to the uh, the reverse league derby in December, when uh, you know I remember getting to Anfield an hour and a half before kickoff, and the team news dropping, and people going, "What kind of a kind of team has he picked here?" And you know four one up at half time, battered them five two. So I, I don't think we can read too much into yesterday's result. Obviously, you, know, you, you don't want to see. Players like you will see anyone going off injured. Matip and Milner are important players for Liverpool, and you wouldn't want them to be uh, missing for any particular length of time. But I think we have to accept, even at the best of times, football injuries are part and parcel of a season. But particularly in these unusual circumstances, when players are playing an intense period of games after really you know a three-week half-assed kind of pre-season, there are going to be probably more. And it won't just be Liverpool who are affected, by the way. It'll happen to other teams as well. And this will be an opportunity for other lesser members of the squad. And so hopefully, particularly if Touchwood we get this league done and dusted in the next couple of games, it'll be an opportunity, hopefully, for some of the young players like the Curtis Jones, Neko Williams, who we've all taken such delight and enjoyment of seeing their progression this season. It would be really nice to hopefully see them getting the chance to, you know, put their stamp on the final few games of, you know, what what has been and will be remembered as one of Liverpool's most momentous seasons ever. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
We've waited so long to be able to talk about football, but Jamal Thompson has got in touch with us on the YouTube chat and he asked three times, so it's only worth us actually addressing the situation, Matt. And I suppose with what could be an injury list that might be mounting up, might not be as Gorsley's referred to, Jurgen Klopp keeping his cards very close to his chest. Jamal says, we need transfers. So does it sort of show how fortunate Liverpool have been to get through 30 games without really having too much of an injury list? The likes of Mane, of course, Alisson, have missed games here and there through the course of the season, but there hasn't been anything concentrated on one area of the team throughout the course of the whole season. No, it, it, to, to be honest, no, I, I don't really agree with that. I think you've sort of teed me up to say exactly that because you knew that that's what I was going to say. But uh, no, I, I think, look, Liverpool, as Dan said, have had as many injuries as, as any other team. I think that's a bit of a myth to, to, to suggest anything otherwise. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp famously doesn't want a big, huge squad. He wants to work with a small number of players. Liverpool have got so many you know, young, talented players coming through. I think we're going to see a lot, lot more of Curtis Jones and, and Nico Williams next season, at the very least, if not one or two others as, as well. So, look, the, the answer is is not transfers. Liverpool are, are so far ahead of the rest of the rest of the country. Look, you, you you can't say that Liverpool's squad needs updating or, or improving or whatever. Look, I'm sure it'd be nice if if someone came in and and improved the squad further because you know you can always get better. But yeah, the the suggestion that Liverpool desperately need to sign people is is just not true. Gorsley, what's your take on that? Agree with sort of what Matt says is he says there is a number of young players like the likes of Williams and Elliot were on the bench, of course, yesterday as well. Klopp's got faith in them, hasn't he? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I don't know how you can see a team who, who've just gone 23 points clear at the top of the Premier League and, and think that they need to make drastic overhauls. We need transfers. It's just a, I mean, I, 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 I scratch my head so many times a day because so many people just seem to put blind faith in, in transfers and just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a completely different topic itself. What I would say, what I would suggest perhaps is maybe an Andy Robertson light, if you like, in the transfer market. Because when he doesn't play, Liverpool lose so much balance on that left-hand side. And as dependable and secure and experienced as James Milner is, um, he's not a left-back, as he's not a natural left-back. Joe Gomez is another one that is such an excellent central defender. But if he's, if he's asked to play at left-back, he doesn't you know, do anything near the, the same as Robertson going forward. So maybe a left-back with similar traits to Robertson. He's obviously not going to be as good as him because he's one of the best in Europe. Maybe someone along that line could be targeted in the summer to provide some competition and some backup. Other than that, uh, maybe another frontman, um, depending on what happens with Jadon uh, Chikiri or, or Harry Wilson. But, you know, transfers aren't, aren't, aren't needed in this Liverpool team, you know. They're not some. They're not a squad that needs a complete overhaul. So just to just blindly say we need transfers is, for me, is 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 not right. Well, I think that one's answered emphatically. Let's get on and move away from transfers. That one seems to have hit a bit of a, a bit of a nerve with the panel today. So let's move on and discuss other issues. Liverpool need five points, Dan. I suppose now more than ever, all eyes are going to be on Manchester City. They're in action later on at home to Burnley. But I suppose that draw at Goodison, if it's opened up one thing, it's the possibility of Liverpool winning the title without actually playing. Well, yeah, Um that you know, if you if I was a betting man, you'd have to say that now looks probably the most likely outcome. 
you have to fancy City to beat Burnley at home tonight. And if that was the case, then if Liverpool were to win against Crystal Palace on Wednesday, which obviously at Anfield, which we obviously again we would expect to happen, that would mean that City have to win at Chelsea on Thursday night. I think I'm right in saying to uh, to keep their very very slim or to keep the, you know, their very slim hopes of, of a title race alive. Chelsea um, have obviously had their own aspect, you know, their own ambitions to play for top four. Uh, they had a good win at Aston Villa yesterday. Scored two goals in a minute to turn it around. I've been a goal behind. Um, so it, that looks like the most likely outcome. And if it's not, and if City were to go and win uh, at Chelsea, then the next match, of course, is Manchester City against Liverpool, which I think is the Thursday after, isn't it? So it's all bubbling up quite nicely. I mean, never say never with Burnley. Football is funny. Uh, yeah, we've all been watching it long enough to see and know that uh, these strange things can happen. Um, Burnley have had a really good season after, I think they had a pretty an awful start, didn't they? But I'm sure I read something yesterday or today that, uh, you know, they're, Sean Dyche anyway, is kind of beating the drum saying they'd like to give themselves an outside chance of Europe. Um, you know, clutching at straws, the the home advantage obviously seems to have kind of very been very much been dissipated with um, no supporters being in the ground. However, Man City are a much better team than Burnley, um, and they did. You know, even before the, the the break, they did. Well, certainly they did seem to be kind of coming towards a little bit of form, a little bit of momentum. Obviously, far too late to do anything in the title race, uh, but they've they've got treble ambitions. They've already won the League Cup. They're in the Champions League last sixteen, then the FA Cup courses, is it? That's up to now. So they wouldn't want to be losing any game, and they will want to kind of string it out as long as they can. They'll want to. They'll want to try and beat Liverpool at the Etihad um, to take whatever shine off it they think they can for us. But the bottom line is, we, I've waited 30 years to see Liverpool win the league. So whether we win it in Anfield, at the Etihad, or without playing at all, when the moment comes, I will be delighted. Because And, and, and also very grateful for the fact that, thank God, this season has gone the way it has. Liverpool have led from start to finish, have played like champions from the start, and have given us some absolutely searing memories I think I read a piece in the Guardian today. I think it was headlined something like Liverpool season in danger of finishing in a damp squib or something like that. And I'm sure plenty of people will try and put that kind of label on it. Good luck to them. They're welcome to it. For the for the likes of us who have suffered and been through all the ups and downs and the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune over these thirty years, it will matter not one jot to us. Once it's done, it's done, and we'll be singing from the rooftops. Yeah, certainly. Thinking just if transfers had, had actually gone through when they were confirmed in, in this summer, with Man City to head to Stamford Bridge, we could have seen Timo Werner winning the Premier League for Liverpool. Oh, no, no, no. I'll leave that one there. We'll we'll leave him there. But Matt, in terms of winning the league, and even if Liverpool aren't playing when they win it, I suppose it, it it's a bit of a myth, isn't it, that Liverpool win the league on one game? They've done this through the course of the season. As Dan says as well, they've led from the front right from the off. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a case of, of Manchester City winning the league for, for Liverpool or, or City losing it for Liverpool or whatever you want to call it. Liverpool have very much obviously won the, the league for themselves this season with how brilliant they've been. I think look, it, it wouldn't take the, the shine off what Liverpool have achieved. And, and when you look back at it, it, it would still be an incredible achievement. But I think, you know, as much as you can't really pick and choose when and where you, you win a league title, I think it's obviously going to be a special moment when and, and wherever it happens. I'd still, I'd prefer it to, to be at Anfield. I'd still prefer Liverpool to, 
be playing and to, to have that victory that confirms it just for the sort of moments, not least because obviously the, the players are not going to be able to, to be with each other to watch the game or anything like that. I mean, we saw when Leicester won the title, they were all round at a Jamie Vardy's house, I think, having a big party and, and doing all that sort of stuff. So obviously the, the situation we're in at the moment, Liverpool's players wouldn't be able to do that. So I think it, it would be a, a slight shame. Uh, it, it sort of feels a bit weird to say that, that if Liverpool win the league, it would be a slight shame in that regard. But yeah, in, in an ideal world, of course, Liverpool could maybe do it on, on Wednesday night, depending on what happens tonight. But yeah, wh- wherever it happens, I'm sure there'll be huge celebrations and, and absolutely rightly and, and deservedly so. Dorsey, as Dan said before, even if it is a damp squib towards the end of the season and Liverpool somehow only end up picking six points up from their, their last nine games and getting over the line with what would be just, let me do the maths, 87 points to win the league title. Yeah. Whilst it would maybe detract away from the Liverpool, we would have seen complete the season had obviously the pandemic and everything not happened. For Liverpool fans, that doesn't really matter, does it? They've got a squad now that looks set and built to continue this for at least a couple more years. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with what Dan says about people can, can try and detract as much as they want from this impending triumph and they can say, oh, it's it's not a real... It's not a real title win because you had a three-month break or you were allowed to use five subs or whatever ridiculous uh, notion they try and use to, to cheapen this victory. Liverpool have been streets ahead of, of every single team in the Premier League. The fact that they've got a 23-point um, advantage at the, at the top of the Premier League with, with eight games to go just shows you how dominant they've been. They've only dropped seven points all season. There's only three games that they haven't won. Um, from start to finish, they've been um, far and away the the best team in the country, so um, you know they will be champions. And I know people's kind of concentration span these days only seems to to last about fifteen minutes. And people will think because Liverpool haven't gone and won every game five 0 for the the last nine games of the season that it's somehow not as, as as good as it should be is is ludicrous really. Because Liverpool have absolutely run away with it, haven't they? So um, look, wherever and whenever it happens, Liverpool fans will. They'll celebrate it as, as much as they can and as best as they can in the certain circumstances. And good luck to them because uh, they, they've been waiting long enough. Well, we best then look to Wednesday's game. Crystal Palace coming to Anfield. Dan, you don't need me to remind you that, what, in April 2017, they were the last side in the Premier League to to leave Anfield with all three points. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? Um, Christian Benteke, of all people, scored the winner. Sam Allardyce was Palace yeah. manager, I think, at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. And Liverpool were kind of... It was Klopp's first full season. And, um, you know, it, it was a really important period, that, because we got to, like, March, April, and I remember the Liverpool's final four away games all looked quite testing, and they all kind of knew that we'd probably have to win all four. And they did, and qualified for the Champions League, and obviously that really set in motion everything that we've seen. And, and, and just to flip back, just to one second, about what, what Gorsi was saying there about, you know, this... This kind of tidal narrative that the, of how some people will inevitably try to rain on Liverpool's parade. What's happened this season really is a continuation of what's happened last season and the season before. The run to Kiev, the heartbreaking way that all panned out, the way they picked themselves up, dusted themselves down, won the European Cup, put a 97-point league season together that still wasn't enough to, to win it, and then actually went and and then did this incredible league season again. So it, it's a body of work encompassing three years, and. The people who know will appreciate what Liverpool have done. Those who are outside who want to mock and sneer, good luck to them. But it, 
it, it, it really will be water off the duck's back uh, to many people you know, within, within, within the fan base. So I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there. But um, Crystal Palace uh, looked pretty good at Bournemouth on uh, Saturday. Was it Saturday or Friday? Um, Bournemouth, Bournemouth. Yeah, first three o'clock Premier League televised That's fixture right, on Saturday, yeah. It was Saturday afternoon, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, they will relish the chance of being party poopers. I mean, there is there is a kind of irony that um, Palace played quite a, a significant role in Liverpool's last title season, 89-90. Liverpool famously beat them 9-0 at home earlier in the season uh, in the league, and then Palace won the, the FA Cup semi-4-3. So if Liverpool were to clinch against Palace, I suppose there, there would be kind of lower, a, a nice little kind of nod to that. Obviously, that's kind of out of our hands now. That's that is dependent on what happens with City and Burnley tonight. But... It's the first game back at Anfield in three months after lockdown and the pandemic and everything else. And I think Liverpool will just be really determined to go on, put on a show for the watching millions. Obviously, there won't be anybody in the ground apart from Gorsty and a few stewards and a few journalists. Um, but I, I fully expect, particularly after the kind of the you know the slight frustration of not being able to complete a derby double against Everton yesterday, I think they'll be even more focused and even more determined to um, to get three points against against Palace, and that's uh, I fully expect them to do that. Yeah, that game against Palace, one of the sorry Palace Bournemouth was a, a late game, wasn't it? The first Premier League game televised on the BBC. But Matt, looking to the game with Palace, then and Dan saying that the squad might have a bit of added hunger to show what they're all about. One player who certainly was showing what he was all about at Goodison Park yesterday, and I'm sure will look to continue that form was Naby Cater. He looked a player reborn. Yeah, I mean, we've heard about him for the, the last few weeks, haven't we? We thought that, you know, all the, the sort of stories coming out were that he's looking fit and, and firing and, and doing really well in training and against Blackburn in that friendly as well. And I thought, yeah, yesterday was a continuation of that. I mean, we discussed on Friday, I wasn't too sure whether Naby Keita would end up starting for Liverpool or whether he'd come off the bench. But, you know, it was absolutely the right decision from, from Jurgen Klopp, of course. And I think he was... Probably Liverpool's standout performer. I think he started to to put together, you know, a few moves and a, a a bit of that sort of creativity that you require, particularly with the the players that Liverpool had missing. I think it was particularly important for for him to get on the ball and do that. And that was probably one of the the first times and one of the few times that we've seen really what Naby Keita can do. We've sort of seen little highlights on YouTube and stuff like that from when he was at RB Leipzig. But that was the first time really that you thought this could be the start of something for him and I suppose it's about time but you know he's a, a player who's got huge quality and you know I've said all along that we know how good his ability is we know how good he can be because Liverpool wouldn't have paid that sort of money if they didn't you know understand that completely so it's always just been a case of of him being able to stay fit and, and injury free and look fingers crossed that the last three months have been a break at the right time for someone like him to get himself back fit, to get himself strong and, and hopefully he can stay fit because yesterday I think was a glimpse of if he can stay fit, what he can do for Liverpool. Yeah, we'll go through our teams for Palace very shortly indeed and our match predictions as well. But before that, Gorsty, Naby Keita was one player who took a fair few of the headlines for his display for Liverpool. Yeah. Another people, another couple of players who stood out, not all for the, the greatest reasons. One was Takumi Minamino, who Jurgen Klopp gave a lot of praise to and that was his first Premier League start. What a place to be giving it away at Goodison Park. And the other, though, Dejan Lovren, who, albeit being a World Cup runner-up with Croatia, continues to seem to divide opinion and he didn't have the greatest of games, did he, at Goodison? 
No, uh, you mentioned Takunu Inamino there, and one of our dedicated listeners was was urging calling for transfers earlier on. Well, they, they've got one there, haven't they? You know, Takunu Inamino, the most recent transfer, starting the Premier League derby, and um, obviously <clears throat> more is, is evidently needed. Um, yeah, with Lovren when when he played against Watford <clears throat> at the end of February, I, I I said to Ian Doyle at the time after the game, I think said I think that might be the last we see of Lovren. And he, he said, no, I don't I don't think so, I'm not sure. And obviously events since then have completely spiralled and it's all it's all changed. But I thought that thought on that day, I thought that might have been his final appearance because he was completely off the pace and he wasn't alone that day. I mean, that was with Liverpool's one of Liverpool's worst ever performances on the game clock at Vicarage Row. But I just thought maybe the maybe maybe the summer's about to set on his Liverpool career that day and he wouldn't have played yesterday, would he, had, had it not been for Joel Matup's injury or James Milner's injury. And he, he looked shaky. I, I did the play written yesterday and, and I think he only gave him a four. Certainly he was Liverpool's lowest rate of player. He got caught getting uh, rinsed by Richarlison a couple of times and actually could have lost the game for Liverpool had Richarlison had a little bit more uh, a little bit more guile and, and kept his head in, in, you know, when that big chance arrived. So, um I think Jürgen Klopp would only look to move Dejan Lovren on this summer if the player himself wants to leave. I think he'll be 31 next month. It's up to him how much he wants to play regularly for the next couple of years of, of his career or, or the last couple of years. Um, but certainly I think Liverpool now are at a stage where um, they've moved on from the likes of Dejan Lovren and I think uh, perhaps someone else should be coming in for him if, if he does move on. Yeah, well, let's then get into our teams for Crystal Palace. Then only a three-day turnaround between the, the game at Goodison and Liverpool's return to Anfield. Are we all taking Alison Becker between the sticks? No one's going to throw a curveball in here, are they? No. No, so we all go with Alison then in goal. Back four, Gorsty, come back to you. And uh, yeah, who do you think the, the back four are going to be? Uh, well, I think Gomez will come in, come into centre half. I don't think you know if Matip is unable to make it. I think uh, Gomez will get the nod ahead of of um, of Lovren, but that depends on on Andy Robertson's fitness, doesn't it? Because it looks like James Milner had the ice pack underneath the underneath the, the back of his leg while he was sitting in the Goodison Park stand yesterday. I don't think think it might come too soon for him. So if Robertson does play, then Gomez and, and obviously Robertson are left back. It'd be a big call if. Gomez were to come in at centre-half and say, for example, Matt Yasalarucci played at left-back and Dejan Lovren was on the bench, that would be a huge statement, wouldn't it? Yeah, he would be. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, to be honest. I think if, if Andy Robertson's fit, he'll play and Jürgen Klopp will, will probably just put Lovren in if if not and he has to play Joe Gomez at left-back. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be expecting to see Yasalarucci. That would be, as you say, a massive, massive shock. Yeah, and the, Dan, we all sort of seem to be in agreement then that it will probably be Trent, Van Dyke, Gomez, and Robertson. Do you concur with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously that that's all very much dependent on uh, Andy Robertson's fitness, and we hope he is fit to play on Wednesday. Um, if if Lovren did need to, and, and I agree with the general thrust of what of what Paul said, I think you know the Croatians' time at Liverpool is coming to an end. But I do, I do think he's been a decent servant to the, to the club. And, and if we did need to rely on him in the last few games, it's never easy coming on in, in, into a game, particularly away from home, in the circumstances when he did. You know, and I, I think Lovren is one of those kind of players that needs to, a bit of time to pick up the pace of a game. And particularly coming on as a sub, that's not ideal. Listen, I'm not going to make excuses for him. You know, he, he, 
I'm not sure there's been too many players in recent eras that have kind of had such a such a difference between their best and their worst uh, than Lovren. And, and maybe that's one of the things that kind of makes me warm to him. There's something very human about him, do you know what I mean? And that kind of he can look absolutely hopeless at times, but he, can, he has also been part of some very, very big moments for Liverpool. And I think Jurgen Klopp and some you know, key members of that squad would vouch for him. He's played his part in Liverpool's success and, and that shouldn't be forgotten. But yeah, it, it's uh, all being well, it will be Robertson will play and Gomez will slot in alongside Van Dijk with Trent on the right. Matt, come to you then first for your midfield three. Yeah, it's a, a tricky one, I think. Um, there's a, obviously loads of options that, that Liverpool have, but I would be obviously sticking with Naby Keita. I didn't select him on Friday, and that was obviously a mistake, given how well he played. So uh, definitely he will play. I thought Fabinho did quite well yesterday. Obviously, wasn't in the greatest of, of form before that break, but the break seems to have done him well. So, yeah, I, I'd be going probably Keita, Fabinho and Jordan Henderson. Gorsty, what what are you thinking? Yeah, I think it'd be harsh to drop Cater after Sunday's performance. I thought he was probably Liverpool's best player on the day. So um, why would you kind of say, well, OK, well, you're not in, not in the team for this one. I think Gini Van Alden is the kind of trusted lieutenant in there, isn't he? But um, what what kind of reward are you getting if you're playing well and then you're getting dropped the next day? So Cater uh, for me, uh, Henderson and, and Fabinho, yeah. So it's as you were in, in midfield. Yeah, I'm going for a more attacking lineup. So Henderson holding in the midfield with I think Van Alden could come in and and Cater mm. as well. Is there the need for both Fabinho and Henderson at home to Crystal Palace? Well, you just you've taken the words out of my mouth there, guy. I was going to say that uh, I thought I thought Fabinho looked okay at times yesterday, a little bit rusty at first, and he's he's not quite been the same since that ankle injury he picked up against Napoli in November. Um, you know, if, if you remember, he was actually he was actually left out of the Liverpool's final match before the break, which obviously was the, the crucial second leg against Atletico Madrid. Which, you know, in the, in last season's running, that would have been unthinkable. And the fact that Jurgen Klopp saw fit not to play him in a game of that magnitude, I think, says that you know he he has been in a trough of form. Absolutely not writing him off. And I think you know he he will come again, but it may well be next season before we see the absolute best of him. So with Liverpool being at home against a team like Palace, who will probably come and sit. Reasonably deep, but they've got you. Know, they've got the likes of Zaha and Van Arnholt and you know some players with pace, and, and and they're not in any relegation trouble or anything. So they've got really nothing to lose. So they might come and have a bit of a go. But no, I, I'm I'm with Guy on this one. I think, particularly having not won at the weekend, I think Klopp may go a little bit bolder. And well, uh, yeah, so Ginny in for me. Yeah, I'll stay with you then, Dan, and uh, I'll let you reel off your front three before we we go around to the others. Well, obviously, it's as with the defence, it's dependent on fitness. But if Mohamed Salah is fit, and you know, having not been involved yesterday but been on the bench, you would think he's possibly not far away. The extra 72 or so hours uh, hopefully will mean that he will be able to link up with Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino in the uh, the attacking trident that has taken Liverpool to European World Super Cup and hopefully very soon Premier League glory. So, yeah, hopefully it's the the big lads back in tandem. Gorsty, do you go along with that? Yeah, if, if Salah's fit enough, then definitely. If not, I think uh, I think Origi might get the nod. Alongside Firmino and, and Mane, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And Matt, who's your, your forward three? Because uh, as Gorsley said there, Origi, I was thinking Salah, Origi and Mane give Firmino a bit of a rest and play more of a focal number nine through the middle. Although even when he came on at Goodison Park, he didn't he didn't come on through the middle initially, did he? No, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit different again, actually. I'm going to go Salah if he's fit and Mane, but then give Minamino a chance through the middle because I think we, we saw in the Blackburn friendly the sort of link up between him and, and Cater, and I think... It was a little bit harsh to, to bring Minamino off at, at half-time. I know Jurgen Klopp spoke about that and, and said something along similar lines. So yeah, I'd like to see him given a chance again. But obviously, if, if Mohamed Salah's fit, he's not going to play on the right. So therefore, yeah, put him through the middle. And, and unfortunately, that means Roberto Firmino gets a break. But yeah, so be it. We'll quickly rattle through these then. Match predictions, I say 3-0 Liverpool. Matt, yourself? Uh Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I said 2-0, I think, on Friday. I'm going to go 2-0 again. Yeah, no one wins with predictions. Dan, you? 4-1 to the Reds. And Paul? 2-1 to the Bills. I think Palace seem to, to do well at Anfield. They're, they're a team who was set up to counter-attack. So, yeah, I, I think they might, might nick a goal, but Liverpool will edge it just... Well, hopefully there's an early goal, so that wait for Liverpool's first goal back from the restart doesn't go on for all too long. Well, uh, that's it from us here on the Blood Red podcast. There will be plenty of content, of course, to come through the course of the week, both either side of the visit of Crystal Palace to Anfield. Wherever you get your audio on demand, if you can give us a rating and review, and here on the YouTube channel, if you could uh, like, share and comment away, that is always more than appreciated. But from myself, Guy Clark, Matt Addison, Dan Kay and Paul Gorst, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.